Hello, it's Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. Guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly Friday appearance. This is his weekly Friday appearance. Lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com, Kylan McDaniel. What follows? We discuss his recent trip to the Dominican Republic. He visited the Dominican Republic to see Dominican baseball prospects. Uh, there were not any Venezuelan prospects there. Were there some Vene- uh, Venezuelan scouts? However, I ask, I ask Kylan McDaniel, um, when we're discussing international prospects, seems we focus uh, to a great deal on the Dominican. Is the process the same, I ask him, is the process the same in Venezuela? Is there the same sort of infrastructure? Are scouting practices the same? He has some answers about that. Uh, we also look ahead to his top 100 list. It's coming out on Monday. Kyle McDaniel's top 100 prospect list is coming out on Monday. Discusses some of the finer points of that. As he does every week as well, uh, Kyle McDaniel has also provided a musical interlude. So there will be a musical interlude. Uh, after this introduction, and then a conversation with Kyla McDaniel uh, on Fangraphs Audio. Thank you. article tomorrow but the which i guess would be today for people listening to it but the the gist of the conversation was uh there was a rumor flying around about what one of these guys is going to get that there was already a deal on the table and all that Mm -hmm. and i just got a call from the guy that told me he said let me find out if it's true and he called me and goes it's a hoax it sounds like the agent started it (laughs) well there you go so so that actually won't appear in the article but you can now wonder which agent for which player started a hoax about how much money he was going to get what players do we have out there now? Oh, we got Mancada and then Oliveira. Yep, and now we got uh, Yadier Alvarez, the pitcher that uh, kind of popped up out of nowhere. And you also have Andy Ibanez. Uh, and Ibanez, Alvarez, and Mancada are all pools guys. And then Oliveira is one of those free and clear dudes. And who was wait, who was the one who defected from the the Cuban team during the um, during oh, the-, the Caribbean series? That's uh, Vladimir Gutierrez, the pitcher. He's, as far as I know, still in Puerto Rico. He's he's a long way off. He hasn't even gotten to a third country yet. Oh, okay. Wait, now, wait, he doesn't technically need to go to a third country, right? He would just be subject to the draft, but since he's 19, uh, he may not get, uh, you know, untold millions of dollars. Uh, so if, say, for instance, he gets less than uh, Baldoquin and Juan Lopez, who got, I think, eight, eight, eight and a quarter, let's say he would have gotten four or five, uh, he might get close to that in the draft anyway. So it, he's not a guy where I think he absolutely has to get out of the country based on what I know, but it usually is a, a positive if he does. And he's in, he's pretty talented as well? Uh, yeah, sounds like he's a uh, low to mid nineties, uh, projectable 19 year old righty. So he's, uh, he's definitely good. It, it's, it's sort of one of those things where, uh, I don't make a ton of calls until it's like somewhat imminent. Right. right. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave the reporting of the, you know the 19-year-old that's thrown just a little bit and all that sort of thing. That's more. That's more Ben Badler's thing. That's uh, he's the international beat guy, and I sort of swoop in when uh, stuff gets serious. So as far as I know, it sounds like a lower seven-figure type guy. So it's uh, not quite getting my attention just yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's still uh, still something notable. And and I've been hearing that maybe uh, Hector Oliveira. Uh, there's there's a little bit more there than than maybe uh, first seemed the case. In what sense? Because uh, there's a lot there. 
Okay, well, there's a lot there. Well, maybe perhaps he's been overshadowed by the Mankata narrative, the, but to, that uh, Oliveira himself uh, is not the proverbial chopped liver. He is not. Uh, if there, uh, how should I say this? If he were 27 uh, or 26 or whatever, uh, no, I think Tomas is 24 and Castillo was 27, the two guys that signed this offseason earlier. If he was their age uh, and had no injury issues, then he would be getting as much, maybe a little more than they got. But the fact that he's older, uh, combined with the fact that you can't confirm the, uh, Cuban ages at all, like you'll never know what his age is. Right. So the fact that we he's presenting himself as 29, about to turn 30 in a few months, and everyone just assumes he'll be a year or two older, just given the way things work there, that's now an issue. And his injury stuff is like worrisome. Like it's, and it's something you're not going to know until you agree to terms. He comes for the physical, and then you find out if you're going to reduce the terms you agreed to and by how much. And the other 29 teams won't see that uh, physical unless they agree to terms after something falls apart because they can't come to an agreement after the physical. So, so it's, it, it has a it has the possibility of being a bit of a logistical nightmare. Yeah, and I, the example I kept using was uh, Cuban pitcher Miguel Gonzalez, uh, not the one with the Orioles, the one with the Phillies, signed for, I think it was supposed to be like $60 million. It was a lot of money, and then it ended up getting reduced down to something a lot less. Actually, let me look it up because I want to make sure I get the numbers right. But it was like a drastic amount because there was, I believe, something shoulder came up in the uh, in the physical. Right, and now if that's the case, then, then he must have conceded that that was a problem because he didn't sign with another team besides the Phillies. Yeah, the way it usually works is the team comes back and says, this is what we're comfortable paying you, and if it's, you know, something close to what they think they'd get on the open market, they'll just sign with that team. And usually if, you know, the team that agreed to terms with him liked him more than the other 29 teams. So presumably they'll pay him the most even with in light of this new information. Right. Uh, interesting, though, and I don't know uh, I don't know if the, what the correlation is usually between what possible shoulder injuries or shoulder uh, um, potential for injury. And oh, here's the information. Gonzalez got six years, forty-eight million, and it got reduced down to twelve million. Oh my, that's so a lot thirty-six million dollars evaporated when his shoulder came up as iffy. That's and right. I believe it went from six years to four years, if I remember. Oh, sorry, went from six years to three years. So it basically, got years cut in half, money cut into a fourth. He uh, he sat at ninety-five miles per hour when he uh, the, the few innings he did pitch this this last year with the Phillies. Oh yeah, he's got a good fastball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, uh, he, he was on the prospect list, so he's, uh, he's been fully vetted by me. Right. Yeah. They actually, the Phillies have, uh, and of course, uh, this, uh, was, uh, um, was made clear recently, but they have an, in, uh, because we released the zips for the Phillies, but they have an interesting bullpen, if nothing else, between, um, Ken Giles, Jake Diekman, and now they, in the Rule 5 draft, they got Andrew Oliver. And they also have well, who knows? I don't know if they're going to start Gonzalez or if they'll keep him in the bullpen. But um, that's at least it's at least interesting. I would suggest you consult the Fangraphs depth charts for these <laughs> questions. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, they haven't had him start since uh, a uh, high A ball of last year, and even then, it was only three starts. So it seems like maybe, maybe, maybe that was part of the. Issue with the bonus. They said, well, he's maybe a reliever as opposed to a starter. You're gonna Actually, I believe I wrote about I'm going to pull up the list again and see. I want to say they told me he's going to relieve, yeah. but I'm not 
Pause it. Anyway, so what, what's your next topic? I feel like this one's been uh, – Yeah, that's done. Uh, well, the point is that you haven't written anything, but you've done quite a lot, I think, since last we spoke. Oh, yeah, I've done a lot of stuff. Right. So that's that will be the basis of the what's to follow, I think. I'm coming uh, with a lot of hot takes today. Oh, no. I'm great. Yeah, I knew you were excited. This is going to be the hot takes edition. Okay. All right. Uh, well, what, what, you went to the Dominican. Why and for how long and when? Uh, for vacation because I wanted Dave Appleman to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So right. so guess what he did? Surprise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I went to the Dominican. Uh, I like to go once a year at the sort of January, February area where they have the MLB showcase for July 2, which is – They'll get typically all the good players from the Dominican, and then they'll cherry pick the uh, the top players that will show up for uh, from Venezuela and all the other countries. Which this year, I think it might have just been Venezuela. I don't think there are any kids from like Nicaragua or uh, Colombia or the other sort of countries that'll oh, yeah, right. produce players here and there. Um, and a handful of them will have. I mean, a lot of them have deals done. This year, I think a higher percentage of the ones that had deals done actually showed up anyway. Right. Uh, well, you mentioned last time, right, that there was a bit of they didn't want it to be. Uh, exceedingly transparent that these these kids already had deals done. Yeah, and it actually worked out. At, now that I've uh, I, I have a board that I made because I saw the DPL guys play for four days in October, and then I saw the ML, the whole MLB thing go for two days, and then I saw the IPL on the Wednesday, the last day. Uh, and so I've now seen and sort of categorized as far as bonus, and then put on a board seventy two players for July two. <laughs> mm-hmm. I believe I have video of every single one of them, which is really sad. Like this is too deep. I don't need to have as many players. Uh, but if I have the top 11 are all Dominican. So I think it worked out this year that all of the sort of top, top tippy top, like multi-million dollar guys were all basically within a few hours local. Mm-hmm. So they didn't not show up. Whereas if there were, if there were three guys that had $3 million from Venezuela that had been done for months, odds are two or if not all three of them wouldn't show up. And so that wasn't as much of a problem this year. And the top couple of Venezuelan guys, uh, let's see, one, two, I believe all three of them don't have deals, so they had a reason to travel to be seen by all these guys. Well, here's a question. Uh, of course, the the there's the notable documentary about Miguel Sano and the other prospect whose name I is... Just, I just talked to the guys who did that documentary today. Right. What, what uh, Pelotero. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, that takes place in the Dominican, uh, and a lot of the focus with regard – or the, well, at least the one hears about uh, with regard to academies and um, – you know, uh, July two signings concerns the Dominican, but there are a lot of Venezuelan players, and so uh, I wonder what is the uh, what is the difference? How how do those two compare those leagues the, between the or not the leagues I shouldn't say, but how those places are scouted, the Dominican and Venezuela? Uh, this is uh, something I ask about a lot because I I go to the Dominican enough. Like I think I've been I think this is my tenth time. I, I remember when I was walking out of customs, the lady was like, "You go to the Dominican a lot." I was like. Because yeah, you're you're trained to say that you went for pleasure, and uh-huh. so she's like, you go there a lot. It wasn't for business. I was like, you know, going to see friends. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry, I hope I hope customs isn't listening to this. Wait, why? 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 You're just not, you're not supposed to be going there in business. No, when you say business, then there's a bunch of questions like, what was your business? What's their phone number? What address are they at? And they're like trying to make sure you weren't like one doing drugs or uh, you know running like uh, vegetables and stuff that aren't supposed to be there or basically you're not sort of raping and pillaging the land and the economy and the, and the people and like bringing illegal stuff in and out and so if you say it wasn't business then they can't ask any of that stuff because you're like oh I was there for vacation okay no I can't ask any further questions everyone knows what that means right 
Okay. So every, everyone that kind of goes down there is instructed. And same thing with, like, Canada and, like, anywhere, Europe and all that. You just say, oh, I'm on vacation. And, you know, every time I go there, that's at least half right anyway. So, because, like, I'm at a game very little. And, like, how much am I writing about it? Like, not an enormous amount right after. So it's kind of debatable why I was there in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's hope David Appleman doesn't listen to this then. Oh, believe me, he won't. He no. would have fired me by now. <laughs> so, yeah, so what's the deal with the with Venezuela? Are there – are there – are you laughing because you're thinking of Jerry Seinfeld? I'm not that immature. The, um, uh, are there academies there like there are in the Dominican? Yes. So there are, I believe now it's 30 teams, 30 academies. I know for a while there were some teams that were sharing because another one was building theirs, but I believe all 30 teams have their own now. And they, they like on average cost $5 million. The really good ones cost around $10 million. Um, in Venezuela, at one time I know there were six or eight like academies. And I think there were a couple more that had VSL teams, and that seems to be shrinking every year. Although I haven't asked a bunch of questions last years to find out, but I know in general people are kind of pulling out because of the political risk. And some of these sort of white American gringo guys have started saying, "Yeah, I don't really want to go down there anymore. It's not really worth the risk." But then you know, sort of the the younger, hungrier guys like me that have something to prove, like they don't have problem going down there. But for my purposes as a writer, like it's completely not worth it because. At best, you're seeing one or two guys that'll get two million dollars uh, that you might not have seen otherwise until they got to America. But you can figure out what they're like, and a lot of times they'll come to the Dominican anyway. And it just, you know, and it costs a ton, and there's a lot of you got to have somebody driving you around and being your translator and all that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not sure that scouting is necessarily different. Um, I talked to some, like I guess, the area scouts at the, these events, and was, well, a couple were from Venezuela sitting next to me. And so I sort of asked them, like, what the process was and how it differed from the Dominican. And they were saying it's basically the same where it's, you know, it's kind of spread out. There's different sort of city centers where, you know, different scouts live and different, you know, players are based. You go to the trainers and ask them, you know, who are your guys? All right, let me see all your guys. And then go through and you make a list, get to know the kids. Uh, you know, get, you know, hopefully you know them as early as Little League and know the family. So it's easier to, like, confirm identities and stuff. Um, and then there's some that, you know, are playing basketball or don't really do anything, but, you know, somebody in the neighborhood told you, hey, this guy's a good athlete, go work him out one day, which is, you know, in the Dominican, basically everyone plays baseball, and it's a third-world country where the only way out is baseball, so if you're any good, you're going to find out, whereas in Venezuela and Puerto Rico and some other countries that have sort of more developed economies and more options and more people that can go to college, it'll be not every single person plays baseball, so mm-hmm. there'll be some sort of, you know, weird instances where you can kind of find a guy or he'll be kind of hidden from scouts. Uh, so, yeah, I guess just the infrastructure of the Dominican is built up more with all these academies and all these scouts and, you know, the the, the white guys, for lack of a better term, will uh, will come down more often. Like it's – and also with MLB doing the uh, – you have to register all the players and uh, that are, you know, going to get big money and go to these showcases and confirm identities and things like that. So it's much harder for there to be like a completely unknown guy that is like immediately a guy. Now, there's always going to be 17 and 18-year-olds that sign for nothing and then become really good players. Like, half the Dominicans you've heard of in the big league signed at, like, 18 for $70,000. Um, but that's just sort of a, a scouting thing and the kid developing late and maybe his agent is friends with or knows guys at the academies for five teams and not the other 25, so those five get a chance at that and the other 25 don't. But, like, I was talking to some scouts uh, down there about uh, Starling Marte, and they were like, oh, yeah, he worked out for every team 20 times for two straight years, and people were like, don't bring him here anymore. We don't want to see him anymore. Like, they were turning him away. And and they're like, yeah, everybody knew who he was, and nobody wanted him. And then he got a little bit better. The Pirates signed him, and then he's stud. 
and that happens not a lot, but like semi, like every year or two, there's a guy like that. Sterling Marte is really uh, is so good. Um, How good is he? Yeah, well, he's good. And he also has a strange profile. You're probably aware of this, but uh, his play discipline is still not particularly well developed. But he probably has uh, at least one of the best uh, batted ball profiles of any major leaguer at this point. He, I remember when I was in Pittsburgh, the sort of well, I don't want to speak for the organization, but the question I was asking is, is he the guy that can walk very little and still like has the bat to ball skills to make it work and, you know, hit 280 with 4% walk rate or whatever his numbers are. And I watched him in Altoona. He was in Altoona the year I was there. And I thought yes, but like I wasn't willing to bet tens of millions of dollars on him being like one of the very few guys that can do that. Um, yeah, no, he's, he's definitely a unique fit. Yeah. Uh, Marte signed for 85,000. And he was 18. Wow. So he so he had already been around for two years, like you, as you said. Yeah. He'd been eligible. And, and he to was sign one of the guys that years. was yeah. that was widely worked out. Sometimes there'll be a kid that you know maybe starts playing late because he didn't develop or a trainer didn't want him, and he only gets on the scene when he's 17 or 18. And that was not the case with him. Wow. He just got better. Okay. Right. And I believe Oscar Tavares, I want to say, was a uh, was a late blooming guy. I know Rafael Montero. Signed for like nothing when he was 19, and then was in the big leagues like two and a half years later. Like, there's mm-hmm. some really strange stories that you wouldn't think that's possible. Where that's sort of the way it played out. Um, so, so let's. So you, we we talked about Venezuela briefly. I think that I mean that's fine. Uh, in terms of oh, trip, uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was told by the Venezuelan scouts if you want a good location spot, uh, there's a place called La Roches, which is an island off the coast of Venezuela. They said go there, but it's the kind of place you bring a girl. It's not like a like a singles place. Wait, do you have to? Is it required that you? Well, they're saying it's like really, really small town. Like it's kind of like the romantic kind of secluded island thing. Not like you know, okay. go to the giant inclusive resort and there's ten thousand single women there. Like it's not yeah. that kind of thing. Well, if you wait a second, if you're suggesting it to me, you realize that even when I was single, I wouldn't go to that place because I didn't. That was not. I was not very good at doing. That. I, well, he was telling me about it. I was like, this place sounds great, and he was like, yeah, and I was like, this sounds like the kind of place where if it had like a feature in the New York Times, like it would be completely overrun with white people immediately. And he was yeah. like, yeah, and I was like, let's see if I can be as influential as the New York Times. Yeah, not yet. Yeah, we'll see, but probably not, is my guess. La Roches, we'll keep it in mind. Uh, your trip, you get off the plane. What, what, you 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 have intimated that you have st- something to report, Kyle. You get to it. No, I don't have like. I would say I have one thing that, I, that I'm excited about, but there's just a bunch of little nuggets I picked up. Which, yeah, well, uh, sh- show us your nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, okay, well, here's one. So uh, when I when I go down there, uh, you know, most of the sort of the writer guys, they'll stay at a hotel and then they'll hire someone to drive them around because you white people can't drive cars down there. They'll get pulled over by the cops and get shaken down for money. That's just the way it works. Plus, the driving is, you know. It's kind of what you'd expect. It's a, it's a little hectic. It's worse than New York City. Mm. Uh, so I have some friends down there, and it works out that rather than staying at a hotel and having them drive to me in the city and then pick me up and drive me somewhere, it's actually easier if I just stay with them. Uh, so I stay with a friend. And he's, uh, you know, we'll say involved in baseball. He played in the DSL. Um, and he was telling me, like, oh, yeah, Miguel Sano lives in this, uh, in this general neighborhood. Like, he's been around here recently. And, you know, we're friends. We hang out. And... Uh, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. And uh, and so we get back from the first day, uh, and my flight was, like, super delayed. So I got in. I think we landed at 1 o'clock in the morning local time and then had to be at the field an hour away at, like, 8 in the morning. So I was super low on sleep and had been sitting in the sun baking for, like, seven hours. So I was like, I'm going to go to sleep. And he's like, okay, cool. 
And so I go inside <laughs> to go to sleep, and I'm like, uh, I'm like pulling the covers up, and he, he had already left, and he walks back in, and he goes, hey Kyle, are you still awake? I was like, yeah, and I kind of pop up, and he goes, here's Miguel Sano, and Sano walks in and goes, hey, how you doing? And shakes my head. And I'm like, did not see that coming. Wow. And he kind of, he kind of laughs, and he was like, yeah, alright, well, we were leaving, I just figured you want to meet him, so I thought I'd bring him by, and he shakes his hand. I was like, okay, thanks. So you, you met Miguel Sano? Yeah, funny, we had to go to another country to meet him. But you were in, and you were in bed when you met him? No, I was standing up at this point, okay. but I was, I was about to go to sleep. Wow. And, uh, fun. Yeah. And I heard some funny stories about him. Uh, and they're all the, uh, you know, all fun, uh, sort of childlike glee about baseball that you like to hear about these sorts of guys. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, uh well, cause of course the, uh, one of the filmmakers from Pelotero was on and then, um, and he spoke to that. And of course it's mentioned in the documentary too that he does seem to have, uh, a bit of a, um, a sort of, contagious enthusiasm about him with regard to the game. Although I imagine that given uh, uh, his injury, it's maybe it's a little bit more frustrating, but who knows? I don't know how people react to that sort of thing. Yeah, I was told uh, one instance when he was at spring training from uh, from someone else uh, that <laughs> that uh, he was talking to, I think it was like executives for the team, and they were like, I don't know, we want you to be you know, ready for the big leagues next year or whatever, just sort of like planning stuff. And he was sort of like half interested, like, okay, like I, I get it, you'll be ready, I'll, I'll be ready. And then there, in the distance, there were, this is in Fort Myers, there were like uh, like some kids like playing stickball or throwing a ball around or playing wall ball or whatever. And he, like in the middle of the conversation, just like tailed off, walked off, saw these kids playing and walked over and started playing with the kids. <laughs> oh, that's pretty great. Yeah, and I was like, I could see like crusty old sports writers saying they don't respect the game or whatever, but it's kind of hard to find a negative in that story. Like that's kind of the greatest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it will be. Uh, it's hard to say exactly what sort of player he'll be, but he has some uh, intriguing uh, raw tools, doesn't he? So it'd be uh, nice to see him on a baseball field soon. He's got a uh, got an old eighty on the power of that guy. The old eighty. Yeah, you you know about the eighty, right? Yeah, I know about the eighty. Yeah. So what uh, what else do you do? What do you do in the Dominican? You you wake up. What when do you when do you go to the field? When it's time to go to the field? You know this sounds like one of those Jay Leno late night interviews where we've already scripted the whole thing. Where we're trying to make it sound like it's no, like it it's didn't, not scripted. It didn't, sound, it didn't sound like that to me at all. It's like oh, so uh, I hear you're working on children's birthday parties these days. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you wake up. Uh, all the stuff's like in the morning to try to avoid the heat, which of course it does not. Uh, so yeah, I, I get in super late Sunday night. Uh, we're supposed to be at the field downtown in Santa Domingo at 9 a.m. and we had to get stuck in traffic, so I, you know, missed the 60s at the beginning. Um, yeah, and there's you know your typical workout. You know, they run the 60, take infield, catchers throw, outfielders throw from the outfield. Everybody takes BP, takes lunch break, and they play a game. And then that's it. And then the next day, same deal. Show up at nine. Uh, and then they just play a game in the morning and a game in the, at night, so they play three full games with two teams worth of 25 kids. So they run through a bunch of pitchers, and typically it's like, you know, the first four pitchers they throw that all go an inning or two are all really good, like almost seven-figure type guys, and then the rest of them, it's like totally hit and miss the rest of the way. Like, they're, they're like this guy might be 400, 500 grand. This guy might be not even worth signing, like might be 50 grand. And uh, you have to kind of run back. Like I, once the, the pitching gets a little light, I'll run down the side to get video of the hitters, because uh, obviously, like I might not see these guys again for like three years until they get to a full level. So I like to get you know at least one good swing in the game. But then every two innings, you got a new pitcher, and so you got to run back behind home plate and pull out the gun and make sure this guy's terrible like you think he'll be, and then you can run back to the side. <laughs> and you're also trying to manage you know getting a sunburn, which I got. I got not get. I didn't get sunburn. I got a little pink though. So that's kind of how that worked. I know uh, that you're sensitive. You're sensitive oh, yeah. to the sun. 
Also, when you talk about it, I'm just emotionally sensitive about yeah, it. Yeah, it's true. You're all, you got all the, you got the whole package. Triple threat. Yeah. You know, triple <laughs> threat of emotional fragility. Yeah, there you the, go. The, uh, um, you said there's a, there's a stadium in downtown Santo Domingo. That's where this yeah, is happening? Yeah, we're Escojito and Lise play in the Winter League. Oh, is, cool. Uh, I got to go to the, uh, the Dewars fan zone, and I believe Presidente had another fan zone. Uh, they weren't really doing anything. It was just like a, like a branded area. But, yeah. Uh, where people no, get to, uh, during the, during the, uh, the seasons there, I guess. Well, there is a, um, well, there's two, there's two, there's two things. Well, there's definitely the Dominican Summer League. Yeah. That's a thing, yeah. That's a thing. And then, um, but I don't know that, if there's that's actually. That's just like, that's backfields like the GCL where there's, you know, four fans per game. Right. And those are, and that, those teams are part of major league organizations. Yes. Right. And there's also a thing called the Tricky League, uh, which is sort of, sort of runs parallel to the, D, the DSL. And it's sort of like the July 2 guys that signed, uh, but haven't, like they signed your deals for next year, so they can't do anything until instructs. They can't play in an organized game that year. Those kids will play in an unorganized league against like players that are trying out for teams and players that are hurt and rehabbing. And it's sort of like a, it's kind of like scrimmages, like second team kind of deal. But often those players are better because it's you know the guy that signed for two million dollars but can't play in a real game until next year. Wait, you can't play why? Well, the July two guys, the way the, re- the reason they signed deals for next year is if they. If they didn't, they would sign in on July 2 and then play for a month and a half in the Dominican Summer League and then start their clock for, like, six-year free agency. So not even just the high-money guys, but, like, everybody that's 16 signs a deal for the next year. So they just basically work out with the team for that month and a half, and then they'll go, if they're really good, they'll go to America for instructs, and that'll be, like, the first time people see them. So, like, that's when I saw Adrian Rondon, and in Arizona I was out there, but, like, Gilbert Lara, like, that was the first time, like, the staff, like, really got to work with them because that those were the sort of the first uh, non-official games that were being held, so they could sort of rush them over there to be seen. It, it, when a when a guy comes over from the Dominican or, I guess, also Venezuela, where's the where's the first place he usually goes? Uh, the more advanced or really good seven-figure guys will usually go sign, work out for a month and a half, go to Instructs, and then the next year we'll go to the GCL or AZL when they're 17. Okay. Uh, and then sort of the more raw guys, and some teams just in general do this with all their players. Like, I remember, I think it was Washington I was talking to, and they're like, yeah, we just send all of our guys to the DSL the next year, even if they're big money guys, just to, you know, get something, get their feet under them, have a transition, not have them in a foreign country immediately, all that sort of thing. And then when they're 18, we'll move them to where they're the same age as the high school kids in the GCL. And then if it turns out they're really advanced, then we'll move them a little quicker. Uh, there's a lot, I would say there's, I don't know, eight or ten teams that may handle it like that. Um, and other ones will sort of take it on a case-by-case basis. And if you're, uh, you know, like the Rays tend to be pretty conservative, especially with pitching. But then you get a guy like Rondon that's like super advanced 16-year-old. He'll probably be in the GCL next year. And I believe when I talked to him, they didn't even rule out he might go to Princeton as a 17-year-old because he's just, you know, that good. And Princeton uh, means means what? It's uh, oh, it's uh, like short season advance, so like not even rookie league, but not low A, though one of the leagues in between. Like, I think the New York Penn League, I want to say. Mm-hmm. But that's usually where you send like the college guys and you send the high school guys to the GCL. So sending like a 17, 18 year old kid, like that's what the the Rangers sent Profar there. I believe Profar and Odor uh, were like 17 and 18 and got sent to one of the advanced leagues their first year in America. I seem to remember. Did Wilmer Flores? Did he even play stateside as a 16 year old? Maybe. Yeah, some guys will sign. It kind of depends when you sign. 
like I know there's a guy, the Angels, their list is coming up. They signed a guy that was, I believe was July 2 eligible and then didn't have his deal materialized until like halfway through the period. And then they signed him in the next period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that guy would basically be 17 shortly after he signs and you can send him straight to America and sign him for that year deal and do that whole thing. Uh, yeah, let me look up Flores. I, yeah, I know the Mets are one of the teams that are historically very aggressive with the Latin players, especially sort of in his era. Yeah, at 16, he played in the Appy League. And then also got a couple of bats in low A at 16. Jeez. Yeah, that was aggressive. Yeah, that's, uh, right. That's, well, and you got five plate appearances in the South Atlantic League. Yeah, that's, that's uh. Class a. Oh, I know. Yeah, that's very yeah, aggressive. Signed... That seems aggressive to me. Okay, so yeah, he was a late August birthday that signed, uh, very late. Uh, he signed like, uh, on his birthday, 2007 in August. And then, and so he didn't turn 17 until the end of his next season. So it was technically the season after he signed, but he was still 16 because he was such a late birthday. Oh, right. Yeah. He was, it was, because sometimes there'll be kids that are typically using this Malcolm Gladwell Irish thing with hockey. Most of them, because the, the sort of ages reset in September, often like half of the good players will be September birthdays. But he was an August one at the very end of the, the his period. So he'll always be like a year younger than his peers. Okay, right. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, and so what you, so what do you go to the, well, hey, here's a question. Uh, you were, you were just down there in the Dominican. Did I teach Venezuelan scouts about Tinder? Yes, I did. <laughs> How was, do they have Tinder there? They had never heard of it, so oh, yeah, yeah, I guess it probably doesn't exist down there. Um, you are simultaneous, you have not published an organizational list for a little bit because I think that maybe you have a, some sort of top 100 situation coming out. Oh, I do. And the plan is for it to come out Monday, so if it doesn't, that means I didn't do my job. <laughs> yeah, it did. So what, what, what do you really need to do to work on this? List, Kyle McDaniel. Here's the thing. I've done, I think I've posted 18 lists, but I have like two or three more that are that are done done, like I could write them right now, and I believe three or four more that are basically done, like maybe one more phone call. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've got like probably 25 teams are all set. Uh, but, uh, like for instance, the, I'll tell you this, the Yankees that are on the list are in a slightly different order than they were when I ranked them like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And then you also, and you know, so if I go through all these calls and write 10 gazillion words on the Yankees and I still shuffled the list a little bit, then you can imagine that the teams, maybe those five teams, I don't have quite as much work done uh, as the others. I gotta make sure I got that nailed down. At least the very top guys. Obviously the 40s and 45s don't matter for this list. Mm. Um, so that means I gotta, you know, still make some calls for that team, get them whipped into shape in some regard just so I make sure I'm not missing anybody. But then also, I, I sent the list to a lot of people. I probably got feedback from, I don't know, 20, 25, like execs and scouts and people that, you know, sort of are inclined to know enough about these lists to throw some, uh, throw some thoughts my way. And so you have to sort of, you know, read them and be like, all right, nine guys told me to move this guy up out of, you know, the 15 that commented on players in this area. Like, that, yeah, I should probably move that guy up. That seemed, that seems like a consensus. Because a lot of the guys will look through it and, you know, there'll be 140 players on the list and they'll comment on 12 of them. And they probably could comment on 60 of them and say move them up three spots, but they don't. And so when like over half of them mentioned move this guy up uh, a non-trivial amount, you're like, okay, so basically everybody said move him up to some degree. But then there's other guys where like I have conviction on, uh, I think Clint Frazier more than other people do, and people tell me to move him down, and I have to sort of look at their one sentence reasoning and be like, is that a new piece of information? Do I want to integrate that in, or is that them just repeating what they, you know, what they think the industry consensus is? I've already decided I'm going to be a little higher than that, so I can't just 
add up the comments uh, as positive, negative, and just move them up accordingly. You kind of have to look at the contours and uh, and sort of send an edited list out a week later to ten more people, and you know hope you get three quarters of them or half of them to say something, and then sort of the people you trust the most or certain guys that you are sort of out on an island on, you leave them in the right place. You can imagine like. Uh, Oshino, Oshino Albis, the guy yeah, that right, I, right. apparently higher than everyone else, he commonly came up as a, Ugh, I don't know, but the, the, the reasoning was almost always, well, I mean, you have him higher, like, they basically said what I had said it before, which is, I have him where you'd have him if he had a huge year in low A at 18, uh, or 17, or whatever your age will be next year, which is what I said, like, uh, Maybe if you add everything up and say that here's the evidence, here's the tools, here's the size, here's the numbers, that guy belongs at, you know, 80 or 90. Like maybe that's sort of the consensus if you're doing it sort of by the numbers. Uh, and sort of, like there's a way to make this into like a matrix where it's like, oh, he's a 1 out of 10 in this, he's a 2 out of 10 in this, he's a 6 out of 10 in this, that means he's 60th overall. But I try to make it a little, a little more art than science in that regard. Mm-hmm. And so, He's the guy I'm high on, but like some other guys, like Raphael Devers, everybody seems to be in on, and I'll, I guess he'll be. That's <laughs> a, sorry, that's a Red Sox prospect. Yeah, the Red Sox third baseman who also hasn't played full season. I believe he's only played in the GCL uh, or only played short season at least, which is the same level of experience and I believe the same age as Albie's, except Devers got like a million and a half and Albie's got like four hundred thousand. So it's like different uh, sort of hype, all that. Uh, but everybody. Thought Devers, like some people were like, oh, it's aggressive to put him there, but I wouldn't tell you to move him down, and I have him about 50. And I think Al- Alves is faster, plays a more important position, and had just as good at numbers. He's just not a power guy, but he plays shortstop, and Devers may not even play third base. So I was like, yeah, I like him better than Devers. So if everybody thinks Devers belongs around 50, and I like Alves more, you know, I could put him, you know, comfortable 10, 20 spots ahead of him, and that's fine. But Albies wasn't one of the top July 2 guys this year, so it looks weird to people. And so you have to sort of, and a couple guys, like there are a couple guys, uh, like, you know, high level guys that were like, I don't like commenting on these lists, but I'll say here's some sort of principles to keep in mind. And one of them is guys that got paid a lot of money that are high profile guys, make sure they've performed and don't discount guys that were below them just because they weren't consensus guys. Cause in two years you're going to be like, Oh, how could I not see, you know, Albies was, you know, just as good as Devers. Oh man. And like three or four guys gave me like those exact comments. And Steven Souza is another guy where it hasn't been a consensus guy at all. I think it sound, basically sounds like the middle to end of the season, the statistically based teams are basically going all in on this guy. Mm-hmm. And the scouting based teams aren't super in on him. And I think that's in part due to the fact that he hasn't been a name his entire career and he's been old for his level. And he's not a guy you go, you know, you move all your chips in on. But now it looks like he might be a two or three one player as a rookie next year. And it's like, well, at some point he's got to be high on this list, right? Like if that's even close to you know, what he's going to be, and the tools add up. Like, it sort of matches with the Zips projections and all that. Yeah, well, Sousa's an interesting guy, right, because I think, like, the the Steamer projections have him as, like, one of two or three guys who are actually projected to post-2020 seasons. Yeah, and so, like, the Rays guys would tell me, hey, you should move him up. Uh, You know, maybe it's just me, but I think, you know, he fits here. And then, like, guys from stats teams and even guys from scouting teams would be like, eh, I'd probably move him up to eventually where I was like, holy cow, I don't know I like Steven Sousa that much, but I have him next to the guys that went in the first round like two years ago, and effectively, it kind of surprises you. Right. Yeah, and it's the thing like about his profile, like, you know, he obviously looks good in the projections, but the skills that he's shown, at least in the last couple of years, when he's, uh, um, you know, he's shown both power and speed, and usually a guy who's guys who have those skills or, you know, receive a little bit more attention from the scouting community. He does not have age, I guess, is the, is the thing that's hurting him at this point. 
Yes, that's that's the thing. Right. He wasn't a consensus guy, and he was older, and he's a corner outfielder. Those are the three things that people kind of counted him out for. But like, there were multiple guys on teams that weren't the Nationals or the Rays that said he should be in the top fifty, and I was like, what? And then after like ten more emails telling me to move him up, I was like, he might end up in the top fifty now. <laughs> like, I guess that guy was right. Right. Yeah, that's strange. And another else, one is. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I say yeah, another yeah. one. Yeah, go ahead. I say another one is all. Uh, I bolded all the guys on the spreadsheet I have them that were in their most recent draft. Uh, as a way of reminding myself, like, oh, if this guy didn't play very much or he was hurt or whatever, I can go back and look at my draft ranking so I don't, like, shuffle it too much based on, oh, he had a good month in the Appy League or whatever. Uh, even with that in mind, trying to keep it, you know, generally, logically in, in line with what I did in the draft, it still gets jumbled a lot. Like, if the draft actually went in the order that I have these guys ranked in now, uh, people would be laughing at some of these picks. But then, like, a month later, you'd be like, oh, crap, that guy's really good. And that happens, I guess, with what? With young players that can happen quickly. Yeah, and I th- that's one of those things where I, I guess one of the things I've been consciously trying to do is uh, try to ignore the hype that goes with a guy. Like, you know, try to recognize that he went this high because he's got tools and one bad season doesn't erase that. Uh, but uh, when the the new information is newer and than the draft status and seems to... Either say we didn't know everything we needed to know at draft time, and so you were low on him because teams were being a little coy with the information, or he blew everyone away in low A at a you know right out of the draft in a long season for two months. It's like okay, I didn't think he was going to be able to do that. He's better than I thought, at least even though it's a small sample. Let me move him up a little bit. Or a guy like Brandon Finnegan who slipped in the draft because of injury concerns, and then he just went straight to the big leagues and like struck guys out in the World Series. Like we're not worried about him being injured. He, he's still small and he might get injured. But it turns out he wasn't injured, which was the concern when he got drafted. Is is he injured right now? And uh, so the buzz go ahead, go goes ahead. somewhere from three to eight, and but then he went like eighteen or nineteen or whatever. Now I'm back in that like three to eight area because like, people aren't scared about the injury. Uh, last thing about which I'll ask you is college baseball. That I think that does that not begin this weekend? It does. That's a, uh, that's exciting. And so far as that there will be uh, there will be prospects. Uh, there will be players uh, playing in these games who will go early in the draft. Uh, yeah, that's how the draft works. Yep, it is. <laughs> yeah, yep. I can confirm that. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what. Do, do you have matchups in mind, or have you sort of been busy thinking about other things? So it's. Uh, I actually spent a couple hours today trying to figure out if I was going to go to a game this weekend because uh, I've got. I mean, I'm right in the top 100, so I got a lot of work to do. So I wasn't going to go to three games in three days. But I was trying to figure out if there was a matchup, and I found one with Kennesaw State and Liberty, which is like a half hour from me, where Liberty has a really good 2016, and then Kennesaw has two really good 2015s. Like, you know, all, all three of them sort of top three-round guys. Uh, and then I emailed Kennesaw State to get a credential, and they're like, yeah, one of those guys you thought was going to be a dude for this year, he's not pitching that day. And then I was like, you know what, it's probably not worth it. So I actually think I'm going to go to a game this weekend. Uh, however, next week Florida State comes to Georgia. Uh, so I Oh, will and go. you'll be you're in, you're in Atlanta. Yeah, and oh, well, and, the, and the thing for me also is uh, every year when I look back, the first weekend of college season, very not telling. <laughs> because it's like typically it'll be colder than usual. It's the first game where everyone's going 100%. Uh, guys are still getting their feet under them, you know, learning second pitches, you know, figuring stuff out. Like you usually don't find a lasting conclusion. And if you were going to, you probably knew in scrimmages in the fall and in the early winter, and you're definitely going to know the week after. And so, you know, don't kill yourself in the first two weeks to go to every matchup and get all over the place and blow your travel budget. Like, let some stuff come to you. Go to the, go to the easy stuff 
you know, talk to some people, make sure your list is in order, and then sort of attack it once it gets a little warmer and people are getting, you know, it's like first first outing of the MLB season. If a guy's velo is down two ticks, you don't like jump all over him. It's like, well, maybe it'll be up in a couple starts, and often it usually will, you know, kind of creep back. Right. Um, the uh, notably with regard, you mentioned Liberty University, notable graduate, or not maybe not graduate, uh, but notable attendee of that school, Ryan Cordell. Yes, that's true. Ryan Cordell was the 11th round pick out of Liberty and is interesting insofar as uh, he went – well, he went in the 11th round, but he has all – he's a giant person who's also fast, and that's usually a skill set that re- receives more attention. Yes, that is true. So and that's – And if he can hit, he's a guy. He, I, I, was, I was watching some video of Cordell. Um, he's got how, some, how does your wife feel about that? She's fine with it because he was—he's a baseball player, and that's my job. No, I mean like not spending time with her. You're like watching video of players that aren't even that good right now. She does not. She was she was actively not spending time with me. Okay. And so that I was just occupying myself while that this, was happening. This, this feels like an off-air conversation. <laughs> um, we've been to, we've been going over it for months with my therapist or our therapist. So we can. I mean, if you want to talk about it off-air. You know, I got a thing coming up uh, in a little bit. <laughs> no, but Cordell is interesting. Are you going he, through a tunnel? I can't hear you. He's uh, he's 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 his, his uh, actions are a little bit awkward, but he he for his size, he's got like a strangely compact swing. Um, I was uh, I was sort of impressed by him. He he has that that sort of like his production, like his his skill set does not necessarily match the sort of body and and actions he has. Sure. It sounds like he might be a Nusa's Tools guy, which will be turning over a new leaf for you that you went with the tools guy that doesn't necessarily have all the skills yet. Well, you know, it's actually interesting you mentioned that. So I, I, for Fangraphs Plus, which just came out this week, I wrote um, the first, uh, the sort of season's first or a pre-edition of um, of the French Five. And, we, well, we talked about this last week, you and I, uh, this sort of idea of Fringe. I, I utilized also a sort of different methodology um, borrowed to – to, in no small uh, no small degree from Chris Mitchell and his work on Cato, with looking at the most predictive metrics, especially for players in the low minors. Um, but in the, in that point, um, you're looking at uh, well, age is part of it, but also uh, strikeout rate, isolated power, and then um, and then also BABIP, which are, in those last two, isolated power and BABIP are nothing. They, I never included those in my sort of. Um, my criteria that I, you know, use to to identify players, and so um, I sort of went about it that way. And Cordell did Bennett. He did, he was acquitted well um, by those categories, even if he wouldn't necessarily have been the, the other ones. I will caution, though, uh, that methodology used on the Cape. Uh, I guess you're sort of using the assumption that you know Babbitt should regress to league average, where with amateur leagues that often is the proxy for tools. If the Babbitt is very high, yeah. And so sometimes you're correcting for a 250 bat up saying, oh, if it was 300, like, you know, you know, should be in quotes, he'll be good. But sometimes it's 250 because he sucks. I'll just well, throw that out there. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is that that's, that is actually acknowledging the fact that BABIP is a skill. And even though you need a lot of plate appearances to do it, it, you know, it begins, it begins to tell you something early on. So if it's considerably lower or considerably uh, higher than league average, that that might be that might be a, a thing you're learning, and so that that I think that was partially the point. I don't I don't know Ryan Cordell's uh, BABIP off the top of my head, but if he came up in my research, then it's probably because he's been posting 
um, above average figures by that measure. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I should say, uh, his bag was 311, 372, and 291 as yeah. last three stops. Um, I should say, I took notes on my phone throughout my Dominican stay of little notes that I thought you would enjoy. So yeah. we could go to the rapid fire Dominican anecdote portion of the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Go for it. Let's do it. Uh, so one of my friends, uh, is about to have a baby in the Dominican and he was having an argument with his wife, Tedder, about, uh, what they should name the baby. And, <laughs> I was thinking like, oh, it'll be Dominican names like Dominican ballplayers have. And one of the guys goes, or the wife wants to name him Alan. Okay. <laughs> now, do, Alan, what? Now, is the last name, is it like a, is it like a typically, is it a Hispanic sort of name? Uh, I honestly do not remember. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. A lot of people go by first names down there. So he actually told me his last name and I forgot what it was. Okay, right. Well, I guess, yes, I, I was wondering if it would match. Uh, no, it, it wasn't chosen because it sounds really good with the last name. It was just, I like the name Alan. I, I go, oh, that know. was the name of the fat guy in The Hangover. And his wife didn't speak English, and so he told her, and she was like, oh. And he's like, we can't name him Alan now. <laughs> I was like, thanks a lot, Gal. Yeah, that's the decider. That's the decider. Uh, and so I was asking him about, like, names. Like, oh, so, like, I, I, you know, I thought it would, you know, be, you know, the names you see in the big leagues. Like, what are some of the interesting sort of name things that happen down here? He goes, oh, a lot of times they'll do names of, like, uh, of, like, American, like, dignitaries or people that they, like, learn about. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, like, I know a guy named Abraham Lincoln Gonzalez. <laughs> I was yeah. like, there's no way that's true. He goes, oh, no, no, we do. And his wife was like, yeah, no, we know a couple people that have names like that. I was like, Well, that's what? interesting. I do know that that's, that's also part of uh, Brazilian um, naming custom. You find a lot of Lincolns and Edisons. Yeah, and we've, I guess we talked about the Cubans. They have uh, uh, Russian-inspired names because Russian people were sort of their influence at that time. Yeah, right. Generation Y, I believe it's referred to down there. Yeah, yeah a lot right. of Vladimirs that you wouldn't think would land in, uh, right. in Latin country. So I guess it's an interesting thing that they'll they'll find people to uh, to look up to and name their kids after them, whereas I feel like in America we just try to find a really annoying name like Caden and like spread oh, that all over the place. Caden McKenzie. Oh, Ugh, boy. Ugh. Kylie. Kylie's, Kylie's, yeah, I wasn't going to say it, Kylie, but it's not like you gave yourself your name. Do you know, actually, the, uh, my wife and I have talked about if we uh, made the mistake of reproducing, <laughs> why we would name our terrible issue. Mistake? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I was, I was thinking to this point, the most, the most normal name there is, I would oh. name a child. And also it happens to be, I, I have to edit that out. Oh, I have to edit that out. Apparently, <laughs> I, I, because we don't want people knowing. But the idea is that well, there's also a Woodhouse character with that same name. I'll leave that in, but I will have to. Apparently, I've had to edit that out. What do you think? Do you think these people are going to steal this name? Uh, okay, all right. They're well. going to tell us about a reptile. Its name's. Yeah. Oh no, I have to edit that out too. Oh no. You're just creating more work for me. Thanks, Kylie. Oh uh, man, I got reprimanded during the podcast. Would it be with an I or a Y? Um, I cannot speak to this anymore. Apparently, I've gotten myself so don't in trouble. This part out, so you get the whole chunk. It would be a weird shortening of the name because the stoolie. Would you be, stop saying it. I it stop. would get shortened to stoolie, which is really funny to me. No, stop saying, stop, stop saying it. It's really irritating now. Well, I got it right. Edit point now. No, stop. It's all going to be in there. All right. Um, I got, I got more. All right. Uh, my my favorite yogurt place down there, which I've never been to, but I always laugh when I see the name, is Jogenfruss. Okay. There's a Mexican yogurt place in German, which I, always struck me as hilarious. 
There's also, I'm told, one of the better fried chicken places in Boca Chica. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm told, oh, it's run by Chinese people. And I'm thinking like, oh, it's like a like a like a Chinese thing, like a like a brand from China. We walk in, there's just like three Chinese people at the counter making 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 fried chicken in the Dominican. In the Dominican, it's so weird. Yeah. Well, here's a question. Uh, um, I'm a person. Uh, so, for example, um, my wife and I will be visiting Mexico City uh, over uh, during March, which is exciting to me. Um, and some people will say, oh, why are you going to Mexico City? Even if you're going to go to Mexico, why don't you go to the coast and have a, you know, a nice time? But because we want to, uh, it's a it's city, cool. it's yeah. a city of some interest. I want to visit it. Um, <clears throat> do, do you feel as though, uh, Santo Domingo or an area around there, or, uh, is it a, is it a place that uh, someone could enjoy themselves for a week or two? Uh, Santo Domingo and the city, you got to kind of pick your spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I could see that. Uh, where I stayed in Boca Chica is, it's like a half hour southeast and it's on the water. So like, from where I was staying, we just like walk a few blocks and we're like, on, like, literally sitting on sand, like, you know, uh, tips of her toes in the, in the water kind of thing. And that is typically the area where the Europeans vacation. There's like a lot of like, uh, uh, like French and German tourists in that area. Okay. And, but, but they say the Americans all go to the north end, which I believe is, Porta Plata, I want to say. I keep mixing up the names of the cities. Um, but that's where the all-inclusive resorts are. And they're saying, like, the Americans like to go where it's everyone speaks English. They don't have to walk around a downtown where there's, like, shady characters. They like to be in their own little deal. Mm-hmm. And the Europeans like to be in, like, the middle of the city and, like, be around the people and, like, have scooters and stuff like that. Uh, and so they go to Boca Chica, whereas the Americans get sort of picked up by a by a van at the airport and get, you know, taken somewhere else. Yeah, and let me be clear. I'm not saying that I need... To discover a place, I just well, there's a place called uh, Los Roches in Venezuela. That's uh, sounds like that's your spot. <laughs> Shut your damn face! <laughs> yeah, right, one more, uh, one more bullet point. Uh, okay, uh, there's a <laughs> I might have to, but uh, but one is uh, there's a big rapper down there named Lapis Consciente, which I believe is conscious pencil. I'm told. <laughs> okay. And uh, so one of the things I was asking about was a lot of people are talking about Johnny Walker. Like they'll say a black label, gold label, blue label. And I was like, I thought rum was the drink down here. And they're like, oh, no, rum is the drink you drink at home because it's inexpensive. But uh, whiskey is seen as like a status drink. So everyone drinks it in public. So like all the bars and liquor stores sell it and you like drink it in front of people to show how rich you are. I was like, oh, okay. And they're like, oh, yeah, there's a funny story. I won't say the name, but – a player that got multi-million dollars in July too that I have written about apparently was like talking smack to Lapis, as he's known, at a club. And Lapis is trying to show him how he has more money than this baseball player, which we're not really sure if he does or not. And the way he did it was by walking to the walking to the liquor store across the street, buying Blue Label, which is like two hundred dollars, and then he poured it on his windshield and says, "I clean my windshield with Blue Label." Well, that's uh, I think which that is I think fantastic. That... I love that story. Yeah, that's a. I believe that is a baller move. It is. Yeah. Uh, and the guy that I was having dinner with that knows English, and I was asking how he learned English, and he goes, oh, the, the way we learned English in the, in the class that I had was by listening to music. And then he stopped and started kind of list, uh, giggling, and he goes, I learned English by listening to Air Supply. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, we also listened to MC Hammer and, uh, ooh, Gangster's Paradise by Coolio. <laughs> It's like, this sounds like the greatest English class. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, I, you know, when we've been in uh, France, you, you, the, you talk to anyone who speaks English well, you're like, how did you learn it? And they friends by watching yeah. Friends. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but they had friends. No. No, no. Oh. Watching the show Friends. I learned English from uh, the Chandler Blink. <laughs> what is it? By the what? 
Chandler Bang. The guy oh, Chandler Bang. Oh, Chandler. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Was that right. a French accent, or was it just I, like I, a? Uh, that, was, that was world accent. It was world for, <laughs> generic foreign. Yeah. Okay. It's like the villain in a movie. Where are you from? I don't know. He's just bad. He's bad. Yeah. Uh, all right. I have, I have one more thing. Do we have like five minutes? Because this one's really good. This uh, is the best. All right. Well, my we have dinner soon. Can you make it three minutes? Okay. So, uh, so my friend was referencing how he was going to, hey, it's just been a softball game. And I go, softball? Like, I knew apparently fast pitch softball is kind of big down there for, like, men's leagues. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I was playing with Marcelo Zuna. And I was like, what? Oh, my, yeah. Softball of Marcelo Zuna? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, we all have, we all, we're all on a team. And I was telling you, my friend played in the DSL. Like, he's pretty good. And uh, he was like, yeah, yeah, we have a team. He's like, I was like, wait, are other big leaguers play softball? And he goes, oh, yeah, Sano played with us. One of the couple, last week he went five for five with five home runs. I, yeah, I bet he months. did. <laughs> I was like, what league is this? Like, I'm imagining like an office league where it's just a bunch of, you know, fat guys from the office and Sano's hitting home runs off them. He goes, oh, no, no, like, like the teams are like a big leaguer or two, some former minor leaguers, and then a bunch of like local guys that are just good at softball. He goes, oh, yeah, Robinson Cano has a team. I was like, what? And he goes, Cano has a team, Juan Uribe has a team, uh, Marcelo Zuna plays on a team with his cousin Pablo Zuna, and uh, Rafael Soriano has three teams. And I was like, what, three teams? What do you need three teams for? And they go, uh, yeah, they play, like, during Winter League. So, like, they actually had a game the day after I left or I would have gone to it, which I was super excited about. And they were saying, yeah, depending on, like, the night and the field and the city and all that, it'll be, like, you know, two teams from the same city play each other and, like, hundreds or maybe thousands of people show up. And he described, like, the uh, the ambiance and, like, the way the players play, and it sounded like the and-one mixtape tour of baseball with big leaguers hitting giant home runs while playing softball. And it sounds like the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. That, uh, that does sound fantastic. Um, you said Vlad Guerrero has a team and he plays sometimes. Oh, no. I wonder how Vlad Guerrero is doing it. I remember towards the end of his career, he looked like he was, he was – always... he, he, he said he drinks at the local bars with people, like that he's like the guy they talk about as like the big leaguer that didn't sell out, that he still hangs out with the people. Oh, damn it. That makes me want to learn Spanish so hard. Joe Carey is salivating right now. Yeah, that's great. Wow. That sounds, uh, so that sounds it, like, delightful. And so they said the the Yankees DSL coaches have a team, and that the uh, one of the fields that they played at was like a little dilapidated, and so the Yankees apparently paid ten thousand dollars to get it refurbished, and uh, and like put their logos on it and stuff. And apparently, like especially in like the lower income, like kind of rural areas, teams will do this. And so you'll like drive through like a middle of nowhere field, and there'll be a you know the field with like Diamondbacks logos all over, and you're like, what's going on? It's like, oh, the Diamondbacks paid to fix the field. Um, and here's the best part. So. Uh, so he's saying, like, okay, so, like, Robinson Cano's team plays Juan Uribe's team in softball, and uh, the big leaguer uh, ponies up uh, for the bet for the game, and then they play, and then if you lose, you have to pay up the bet. I'm like, oh, what's the bet? Like, money? They're like, well, the bet is in money, but it's understood the bet is for beer. And so and so they'll bet how much beer they want to bet, and then they'll give the money to the umpire, and when the game's over, they give the money uh, to somebody on the team, and he goes and buys that much beer, and they, like, hand it out to the players. And I'm like... What are we talking here? They're like, oh, it'll be like 10 or 12 cases of beer per game. <laughs> like, it's like a currency. Wow. And I was like, this sounds like the Rucker Park basketball games that they have in, like, Nike commercials with Kevin Durant. I was like, can you imagine if we put this on TV? Like, Nike would send Mike Trout down here, and it would turn into, like, the greatest event in the history of Twitter. <sighs> How's your Spanish? Un poco. Yeah. I know just enough to kind of get my point across, but not to really express myself. Hmm. It sounds like it, it's a language. So when I go it. when I go back next year, we're going to schedule it so that I uh, so that I get to go to one of these softball games. Yeah, I'm gonna it. go. I'm going with you. <laughs> That's what I just decided. What? 
I live in the north anyway. I want to go there. I want to go anyway, so I don't continue not to die. Yeah, and there's one more sentence to the story that I won't share on the podcast, but I'll tell you off air, and you're, you're going to really like it. But yeah, that's that's the end of the story. Okay. Well, let's uh, end it now, so I can uh, have some dinner with my wife. You can tell me the, the dirty sentence you have to tell me. It's not dirty. I think it's interesting, actually. All right. All right. Uh, hey, Kyla McDaniel, thank you so much. Thank you. I feel like I got energy now. I should go work out. It's Kyla McDaniel, the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. Of course, it's Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio. <laughs>